I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer, and I'm joined today by Keitha MacDonald and Beth Lindop to talk another big win for Liverpool in what is a very, very weird season, isn't it? I mean, a 6-1 win to add to a 7-0, a 7-1, a 9-0 in a season which Liverpool are still sitting in eighth in the Premier League table. Um, But there you go. It it all clicked to to last night, didn't it, Keitha? You were there. Um, A very positive performance in what's been a very strange season. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there with all the different score lines and I think that's probably you know the, the bit of kind of optimism you can take going into next season is that obviously there has been inconsistencies especially away from home but you know when it not when it's mattered but they've still shown big performances. Obviously I know one of those was against Rangers and mm-hmm. so for that obviously they've beaten, they've beaten City, they've beaten United, yeah. beaten Spurs away from home. You know they have got some big wins under their belts and I was saying to one of, someone the other day that you know it's almost you know, if you think of where Liverpool were a few years ago, you know, when they try and make that next step in kind of the early cop years, it was always kind of against the big teams that was their downfall. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, if you can if you kind of have the number of those top six teams, I think those I think Don King put something out last week that said Liverpool were like head of the mini league. Yeah. Um, of the top six, seven clubs this season. So, you know, we all know it's been poor away from home and obviously defeats at Bournemouth and Forest and, and those kind of games have obviously ultimately been Liverpool's downfall. But, you know, I think, you know, showing what they can do on the day still it makes it look like an easier task to kind of rectify next year, you know, if you can, you know, just be a bit more disciplined on the road and, you know, kind of eliminate those silly mistakes and, you know, all those defeats really, like the Forest, the Bournemouth games, they all seem to follow the, the same yeah. blueprint. Yeah. I think if you can iron that out next season, there is plenty to, to go out and I think last night showed it. Yeah, yeah, that, that is the frustrating part, isn't it? This season, you know, I, I think back to the United game and I, and I was away at the time and just getting updates on my phone, so I didn't see that game, but... At the time, when it's seven 0 against United, I thought, well, Liverpool will, will bounce into the top four from here. You know, I think at that point they weren't too far away. Um, and then, of course, the next week against Bournemouth, they they stunk really, didn't they? they? They really struggled. And obviously, they played Forest next, albeit at home. But how do you go about solving a problem of consistency like like Liverpool have? I think it's really hard, and I think it, it's quite telling that that Jurgen Klopp post match yesterday was asked, you know, what what has been the problem this season? You know, what why have Liverpool been so inconsistent? And he, he couldn't say. And I think that moment um, in the ninety second minute, whenever it was, when those four players just converged around a Leeds player and battled for the ball back, and you saw Jurgen Klopp's reaction. He was just slumped down into his chair, sort of completely euphoric, as if he was saying where's this team been all season and I think that was telling as well it sort of shows that the manager probably doesn't even know mm-hmm. what the problem has been this season and I think that's been the biggest issue you know if you have one sort of glaring problem or one player that's really letting you down then you can maybe change things a little bit but because the, the drop-off in form has been all over the pitch so many different positions mm-hmm. I also think mentality has been huge I really really do I, I do question how much missing out on a, on a league title by a single point then missing yeah. out in the Champions League fi- final has affected them 
Um, because th- there must be an element sometimes as a player when you've missed out twice by a single point, you think, oh, what's the point? Yeah, 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 yeah. It must be so demoralising. I think Arsenal are probably experiencing that a little bit now yeah. up against the relentlessness of, of Manchester City. So, um, yeah, I think Klopp alluded to it. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really know what the, the one sort of key ingredient that's been missing this season is. Um, but I think as Kiefer said, you know, it, it's, it's reassuring to know that Liverpool do still have these these big performances in them and I think that that second half against Arsenal perhaps will even do Liverpool more good than that 7-0 against United because the manner in which they responded to adversity we've just not seen that at all this season and they showed they could go toe-to-toe with the best in the league and I I still think that they can I think as as you said it's just the consistency and, and if they can address that next season um which you'd like to think they bring in some midfield reinforcements that will help in the summer but um yeah, some positive signs, but also sort of very cautious optimism because yeah. we've had a few false dawns this season and you've yeah. just got to hope against Nottingham Forest they, yeah. they continue in the same vein. Yeah, Beth makes a good point there, doesn't she, Kiefer, in the sense that you think about the United game and it was quite it was a good game. They swaggered, didn't they, to, to that result. And Bournemouth, the 9-0, and perhaps Rangers as well, was one of those occasions where they, they played a team that just fell apart and, and every chance that they had went in. But even last night and, and, and the second half against Arsenal and last night, there was a battling quality, wasn't there, that, about the win. You know, responded to going, you know, to Leeds pulling a goal back <coughs> and immediately pulling away again. That I don't think has been present in this Liverpool team all too often this season. No, absolutely. I think, I think there was a period midway through the first half, I think maybe about 20, 25 minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, Liverpool missed a few chances and, you know, you wonder if the heads are going to go down. And as I say, that's kind of been the story of their season on the road, really. So, you know, I think Leeds, obviously, it was a you know, a noisy crowd at Ellen Road, and I think you know, obviously, they're fighting for their lives. So you may be thinking, you know, are they going to be able to stand up and kind of let their quality shine through, or is it going to, you know, got these chances going to come back and haunt them? But you know, they kind of stuck to their guns and stuck to their principles, and you know, kind of re- re- reminded themselves who they were, kind of thing. And and in the end, obviously, the the golfing class was was telling, and yeah. you know, probably could have been more than six on on the night, but you know, twenty twenty five minutes gone, you're thinking. You probably take a one 0 here yeah, and, and yeah, one just yeah. get out of here, but you know I think, and then you see in the second half obviously players like Curtis Jones, Cody Gakpo, and, yeah. and even Jota, you know confidence is, is rife and and that that spreads through the team and you know I mean Jota, you know for the struggles he's had and I know he's been injured for for such a large period over the last twelve months, but to take that second goal first time just kind of shows how, how confident yeah. confident he was. You know Jones to play that ball through to to him for the first goal to take off Gakpo's toes and. You know that's just stuff that we haven't seen, not from Curtis Jones individually, but you know, you know, those kind of risks and mm-hmm. you know, playing on the edge, which you know, at times it's felt a bit safe this season. No one's really wanted to step up and kind of mm-hmm. take that mantle. And you know, as, as, we, as we both just said, then you know, the quality is there. It's just a case of for whatever reason it's been this season that you know it's not been. You know, they have done themselves a disservice in in that sense. And I kind of echo what Beth says in terms of the mentality. You know, I think. It must be so hard, you know, to go from competing for Champions Leagues, European titles over the past four or five years, and you know, don't get me wrong. Obviously, they'll want to be playing in the Champions League as much as anyone next season. But you know, between now, say, you know, the beginning of March after they lost that first game against Madrid, to know that, you know, at best you're gonna finish in the top four, that must be, you know, quite an ego bruiser. Yeah, yeah. And you know, obviously, as people say, oh, the footballers are paid thousands; they they should want to win every game. But at the end of the day, they are humans, and it must mm-hmm. be quite hard to to get yourself up. Yeah. You know, for that, you know, when you are beating United and then losing to Bournemouth, like, you know, you would have taken a one win over United and a one win over Bournemouth. You know, you get more points that you don't get any more for scoring seven goals. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's just, you know, I think it's the little things you're looking for with, with Liverpool at the moment, as you say, those kind of battling qualities because we all know that they can score goals and, and, and blow teams off the park, but it's those kind of subtle 
kind of issues that have been their downfall where you know maybe we, we haven't seen too too often this campaign we're looking for signs aren't we we're looking for signs for next season that it'll all be okay and <laughs> with, with a couple of signings and one sign i think in the last and look, I don't want to get too overexcited because it, it's been a game and a half, essentially. But, but Trent moving into that midfield role yeah. just feels like it's not only lit a fire under him, but it's given him a new lease of life. It's taken away the critics that can just criticise his defending and given Liverpool an extra dimension, doesn't it? It really has. And, you know, there's been, been an argument for him to move into to midfield for, for quite some time. And, and as I said on the pod the other week, you know, I've always been of, of the argument of if it's not broke, don't fix yeah, it. And yeah. he's obviously helped Liverpool win everything there is to win from yeah. right back. So, and I've always thought that his, his defensive flaws were sort of exaggerated by rival fans a little bit yeah, before this season. You know, he, of course he, he has a mistake in him, but so does 90% of, the, of yeah. the defenders in the league. You know, he's not he's not on his own in that. Um, but I think this season, whether it is confidence, whether it is fatigue, he has he has been poor. He has left Liverpool exposed on a number of occasions. Um, and I should say last night it did sort of just look like he had a, a new lease of life and he had his swagger back as well. I mean, yeah. the way he took that um, that ball and played it over the top for uh, Nunes for the, the sixth goal was just stunning. And I think he completed the most passes of, or the second most passes of any player in, in the Premier League this season, 91% passing accuracy, which is absurd when you consider yeah. how much yeah. he was on the ball. And the type of passes he's played yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. They were risky passes, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, that you say risky there that comes from having the confidence to play yeah, those yeah. passes and he only really found that confidence once Liverpool had sort of clicked into gear a little bit and I yeah. think it just shows you how much having a bit of confidence having that mentality and that belief that you're going to go on and win the game and dominate your opponent how much that impacts the way yeah. you play um, and it's interesting because he's not fully moved into midfield it's, I think someone described it the other day as a right midfield back role like yeah. it's almost like a you know, it, in that sort of pivot holding role with um, Fabinho. And you, you do have to say Leeds were poor last night. They were oh, really, really poor. Yeah. And if you're a Leeds United fan, you are fearing for them after that performance, you know, shipping uh, 11 goals. To be fair, I think they started well enough. Yeah. They had better, better, I can't say they called them chances, but certainly better breakaways, a couple of shots, early doors. But once Liverpool got themselves in front, they they, they, they fall and they yeah. give up chances. The other I mean, way. to ship yeah. eleven goals in two home games is just especially as far as I think the, yeah. the thing is as well, even like under Bielsa, they they shipped goals, yeah. but you all, always felt that they were dangerous going yeah. the other way. Yeah. Whereas last night, aside from when they capitalised on that mistake from yeah. Canate, they didn't really look a threat. So, you know, Trent will undoubtedly face much bigger threats yeah. Yeah. Um, in the future and he will be caught out if he is gambling and going a bit further forward and taking those risks but if he's producing the sort of quality like he did last night you can you can take yeah. that risk it's worth it yeah. and I think we've talked all season haven't we about Liverpool being a bit predictable and, and people knowing what you get from Liverpool and it feels like Klopp like you say like by moving into him to midfield without moving him to midfield <laughs> has made Liverpool given them a new element made them a little bit more unpredictable and I, you know I I think you're absolutely right. You know, it, it drives me mad the whole Trent defensive debate because I think the way we watch football now is everything's in absolutes, isn't it? I, I find it fascinating at the moment that Van Dyke has gone from the best in the world ever, no one could ever get near him, to the absolute worst. His drop ups drop off so big, and I think well, Liverpool have dropped off. He's getting older. He's not going to be the same player he was, but that doesn't take away from his brilliance. And Van Dyke's brilliance doesn't take away from. Vidic's brilliance yeah. or Terry's brilliance they were all brilliant players in different teams and, and the teams make the player as much as the player makes the team so you know I, I do think this, this debate about Trent has been 
it almost feels forced at times. Mm. It's like a talking point to have after games, and you know, the, I think back to full backs. All defenders make mistakes. You you have you know that's how goals are scored in football, aren't they? So I, I think I think it was just a bit tired. But I'm really glad if you know that was the most I've seen Trent last night. Look, look up for a game. There's yeah. been times this season where he hasn't really looked up for it. Like the criticism has got to him a little bit. Like he looks a bit bitter or embattled a little bit. But last night, but he seemed up for it. He seemed to be enjoying himself. Um, but do you see that going forward, Kiefer? Is is the, the blueprint for Liverpool for, certainly for the rest of the season but perhaps going into next season yeah absolutely I mean especially if if, if top four now you know it is as good as gone I, I would think um, so you know you've got you know eight or nine games left to kind of just try something yeah. different and, and obviously that's what they've done in the, in the last two games and it's kind of the same as Beth I've always been one of those of well, what's the need Liverpool won every single trophy available yeah. with Trent full back and he's, yeah. Yeah. it's not like he's been a bit part player he's been the nucleus of everything yeah. they've done yeah. so well so it's you know why would you take such a huge gamble and I think I think Southgate tried it a few times for England and Klopp was quite quite vocal and you know why would you move him kind of thing but I think obviously as you say that's that's a big kind of buzzword at Liverpool at the moment isn't it you know the Pep Lins, he obviously loves his unpredictability and stuff like that so you know adding that extra dimension because speaking to someone last night and I was saying you know as much as you know Liverpool's A game is you know when they're on their A game no one can get close to them and, and we've seen that but my kind of a, my biggest kind of criticism has probably been and you could probably say in the, in the lockdown season as well is that you know when things aren't going Liverpool's way they're, they're very stubborn you know they don't yeah. change much yeah. so you know it took them six home defeats at Anfield in 2021 yeah. to drop the line 10 yards deeper when everyone could see that for weeks and mm-hmm. you know it was only the final 10 games of the season that they became hard to beat yeah. again and, and got a run together and you could probably argue the same at times this season when there's been so many false dawns and you think you know even after the World Cup it was you know right this season is good as a write-off you know take top four and run and and it was just the same kind of you know playing away from home with such a high line you just think you're just asking for trouble um but you know this obviously is a subtle change it's not a huge one I mean Henderson you know has covered him for the best part of five years on that right hand side and and Canate has obviously kind of done that as well since since he's come but I think in terms of what it gives Trent that that freedom but I mean going forward I mean obviously people have said haven't they you know start him as an outright six next season which I'm not sure I'm on, on board of I think, I think it was Gary Neville said something after the Arsenal game along the lines of you know it was, I know he played as, as a midfielder during his academy days but you know, you look at the midfielders and the technical ability in the Premier League now in, in terms of your Rodri's and your Bernardo Silva's and how good they are with the ball. I don't think you can just have the arrogance to throw a full-back in there and expect him. You know, you've got to think yeah. when Trent gets the ball at the moment, he's got the whole pitch, you know, in his, in his view, hasn't he? That, that, my, my argument would be, would he get the space? In time. Even in the position he's now playing in, which is moving in central areas. Yeah. But by shifting him in there, He's going to be, he comes into yeah. space, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas if you put him in there from the start... He's going to be coming out to try and get yeah, the space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you take Henderson, for example, and, and kind of, you know, in, in his pomp 2019, whatever, he would always come to that outside yeah. right-hand side to get the ball off one of the four, uh, the centre-halves. Um, and, it's you know, it's such a tight area. You're probably playing on one or two touch, which, mm. you know, obviously Trent can do, but he's best when he gets the ball out of his feet. Yeah. And, and I think as well, as, as we saw last night for the first goal, I think that right kind of half channel is his best yeah. space in yeah. terms of you know he didn't get his head up is that kind of Beckham-esque yeah. you know clip into the box which is which is kind of his trademark so I think to move him entirely would be a, a bit wild and not something I would be keen to see but I think you know if you can kind of I think I think in reality what it is is it's just it's just minimizing his flaws yeah. and yeah. it's just offering that protection which he obviously hasn't had over the last 18 months and yeah. and kind of just getting his confidence back and saying look we're going to build you this platform because 
he is a generational talent. We're going to give you this platform to go and you know go forward and, and, and wreak havoc, and, and that's kind of what he's done in the you know in the one and a half games that we've seen. So, yeah. you know, if you think if they can get some some proper legs in there next season with some good midfielders, it's you know there's plenty to kind of be optimistic about. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, Kiva talks about protecting Trent there. I think one of the the things that I've spotted is the aggressive nature in which Kanate plays and, and him coming out to that right. I mean, I know he made a mistake last night and I, I kind of think that that can happen, but I thought he was ever so good again last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been one of the best players this season and I think probably um, you know, Liverpool's one of Liverpool's downfalls has been that he's not been fit mm-hmm. for, for a lot of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, he's he's definitely first choice centre back alongside Virgil van Dijk. Um exceptional talent. Obviously young got such a high ceiling, especially as a centre back, you know, he's twenty twenty three, is he? Yeah. You yeah, know, which right. a lot of centre backs don't hit the peak until you know twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. Um Van Dijk was even older, older wasn't he? Than, you know, yeah, exactly. It, you know. And you think, you know, a few more years playing in the Premier League and playing alongside players like Van Dijk, the experience he's going to gain, you know, his ceiling is so, so high. He's already played in a World Cup final and a Champions yeah. League final. Um, and, and as you say, I thought he was tremendous last night. I mean, that it, that moment when he gave the ball away, you just sort of thinking, oh, not not again, Liverpool, aren't you? It's yeah. just yeah. doing the absolute damnedest to, to um, sort of blow up, blow up all of the hard work. But... Um, but yeah, I thought he was he was good again last night. But it was exceptional in that second half against Arsenal. You know when yeah. he went absolutely clattering in on yeah. Granite Xhaka. It's probably one of the moments of the of the match for me. So um, yeah, he's a top top talent, and I think if Liverpool can keep him fit, and maybe bring in another top class centre back as well, if Virgil does indeed sort of decline a little bit as he gets older, which as you say is only natural, um, then they've got a, a formidable sort of centre back there for the next decade or so. Yeah, it's, it's the way he plays with aggression that I think. Van Dijk's quite, he's quite laid back in the way he plays, and he, he goes and wins things, and he and he did that when Liverpool were, were really at their peak. But to see Canate going there, winning headers, yeah. leading, winning tackles, and yeah, he made a mistake. But what was impressive is that he just made that mistake mm. and just Got carried on, and didn't he didn't fall apart. He didn't <coughs> let him get to him. He just carried on, and I thought that was great. Uh, another player who there's been a lot of talk about it. last night was uh, Diogo Jota Kiefer I mean Carragher said he would have sold him after half an hour I probably would have sold him after five minutes but but, it, but he didn't half come back played well in the second half pressed well took his goals um, incredibly well although one former Echo employee described it as a, a Joe Rimmer shitty his, um, his, his finish but I would have taken that any day of the week um, but it, I mean he he's an odd player isn't he Jota I can't get my head around him sometimes I, I just 
don't want him in the team. But when Liverpool are functioning and they're, they're scoring goals and they're, they're moving well, he just pops up, doesn't he? And he scores good goals and he, he's, he's, a, he's a good player in a good team, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I'm, in a weird way, I'd, I'd probably compare him to Haaland and, and kind of all the noise that you, you get at the minute with him in terms of, you know, he scored 21 goals last season mm-hmm. and he was on the bench for the Champions League final. You know, he was Liverpool's second or third highest goal scorer. Yeah. But, you know, there's obviously all the talk about, you know, what he maybe didn't bring to the team in terms of, you know, his build-up play and his yeah. play from deep and stuff like that, which is obviously understandable when you've got, you know, players like Luis Diaz who can probably do yeah. both. So, yeah. It's been a bit of a weird one, and then obviously when he hasn't got the goals, you know, since he's been yeah. back from injury, it's been like, well, what does he offer Liverpool? And to be fair to him, I think his his pressing's improved massively. I think that game against City uh, in October, mm-hmm. obviously gets the injury at the end of that game, but I thought it was you know phenomenal. Well, right? And obviously he doesn't doesn't get the goal that day, but you're kind of thinking, right, well, if he's not going to score, when he, he brings you all this, we've got goals from elsewhere, you know, in Salah and stuff like that. So, um, you know, now, you know, there's, there's obviously been a few chances that he's, he's snatched at over recent weeks, and you just think. You know, because you know when he first came to the club, he was such a natural finisher, and it was kind of just a breath of fresh air, kind of everything he he touched turned to gold, and and obviously it's natural for strikers to kind of have those. I mean, Salah had it at the start of last year, and he went, I think he went a couple of months after Afcon with without without goals, and you know it's one of those. There's so much noise, and especially with the options Liverpool have now, in obviously Diaz going back, Nunes is obviously going to be. You know, competition for places is going to be, you know, as best as it's ever been, you know, from the start of next season. But you, you just think now, you know, as I said earlier, the way he took that second goal first time, it might have been a, a Joe Rimashini, but, you know, it was, it was a brilliant, yeah, yeah. brilliant first time volley. And, you know, that's just what you want to see from him and getting into those areas. And, and then if he can kind of, you know, polish up his play off the ball and you know, pressing and, and link up play, then, you know, Liverpool have got, you know, another option there. You know, people have, have, have kind of earmarked him as, you know, potentially someone who could be sacrificed this summer if there yeah. wasn't, you know, a need to create funds. But I mean, you get all this thing about people saying, you know, strength and from a position of yeah. strength. Well, I don't understand why you would then, no, you know, you, you yeah. know what I mean. We've obviously Nunes is still new. Obviously, Gakpo is as well. Obviously, Diaz has had this injury. I think the last thing you'd be doing yeah. is looking to offload a striker who, you know, you probably wouldn't get the value. I mean, if you sold him say for 40, 50 million, you know, if you wanted to buy someone of that Premier League proven yeah, quality, you you're not getting no. close yeah. to that. Um, so I think you know for for a lot of them next season as well. There's obviously where does Nunes fit in? Yeah. Obviously with Diaz coming back, you know does he get moved down the middle? But then obviously Gakpo's playing so well. So in a weird way, there's 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 plenty for Klopp to go out join join the summer and in the next nine games. But I suppose that's a that's a positive because it's felt at times this season, especially you know early in twenty twenty three when you know Firmino was out, Jota was out, Diaz was out. You know you kind of just playing people and praying you were playing them into form, but. Yeah. You know, you can be almost hopefully be ruthless next season if you've got five, six class fo- world class mm-hmm. forwards. And obviously, I know Firmino's going, but I think I said to you earlier, Joe, that like it kind of you look at it now on the face of it, you think, well, it's actually understandable why he wanted to go. He's probably looking around and thinking, you know, if, if they're not in Europe next season, I'm not getting games here. So, you know, I think I think whilst it will be obviously sad when he when he plays his last game, I think the form of everyone around him has probably shown it's probably the best decision for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I've been frustrated with Jota at times, but I totally agree with Kiefer in the sense that. You look at the players who will be leaving Liverpool on free transfers, Cater, Oxlade, Chamberlain, potentially Milner, Firmino, um, and then some of the players getting older. I just don't think they can afford to really sell anyone, really. Kelleher will probably leave, on so they probably need a goalkeeper. I mean, would you would you entertain moving Jota on? Unless you got sort of an absurd, like, 70, 80 million bid for him, yeah. Then, yeah. then you think, but... Yeah. You know, you're not going to get that, and as you say, for 40 million, it's not worth moving him on. And you know, obviously, this is the first time in the season really that all of Liverpool's forward options have been 
have been available and, and we know from Liverpool's injury history yeah. over the past few seasons that yeah. you know it's very rare that you're going to have all of your players fit and firing um, so I think it will be irresponsible really to, to let him leave you know if Liverpool are intent on getting back to back to the very top then you know I think he's a he's a valuable option to have um, and again it comes back to confidence you know you, you wait 12 months for a goal and then two come along in the space of, of 20 minutes so hopefully that gives him sort of a bit of a bit of motivation going forward and a bit of confidence going forward um and I think he you know he, he did grow into the game I think he lost possession like some like 11 times in the first half an hour um which was obviously frustrating but um it, it's nice now to see that Liverpool have such a such a vast array of attacking options. I mean, Cody Gakpo last night, I thought he was exceptional. Yeah, um, oh, I think yeah. he's he could go on to be one of the shrewdest signings Liverpool have made, £37 million. He's just an absolute joy to watch. You know, the first yeah. couple of games that he, that he played, I admit, I was a bit like, I have no idea why Liverpool have bought Even Darwin Nunes, when he was sort of spurning opportunities in his mm. first few games, I thought, I can tell why yeah. they bought yeah. him. He was explosive, he was raw, he was exciting. Gakpo just sort of didn't look like he knew wh- what he was doing, where he was playing, and um, I've had to eat my own words, but but gladly oh. so because I think he's a, he's an exceptional talent and just graceful and so tidy and effective yeah, yeah. and yeah, I love him. Well, well, I love him too. And full disclosure, last night I went through um, a WhatsApp group with with John Bradbury and, and another Exeter colleague, <clears throat> and found all the times we said Gakpo is the worst player in the world, <laughs> and um, and yeah, I mean. I think Kiva, those early struggles might have been a player adapting to a league and a position that he'd never really played before and something which we know and you know I think my frustration personally with Gakpo probably was born from a, a very frustrating season but we know how difficult that position is to adapt to because we watched Fabinho do it in yeah, real yeah. time and I think we've now watched Gakpo do it and now I'm convinced that Liverpool very shrewdly signed the Firmino replacement when he became available. In yeah, January. yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, they must have seen something in him to kind of you know press with it, you know, before the, the window opened. And obviously, you know, United were interested. Mm-hmm. There was a few other Premier League clubs last summer, but you know, I think I think maybe the frustrations. And I know Carragher said it in his card last week, but maybe the fact that that money wasn't spelt spent elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see another you know forty million pound player coming mm-hmm. in, and you maybe thinking, you know, you're not addressing the right issues. Is maybe. You know, an agenda already set. Then he's probably already got a, a harder task than you know to win people over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought last night he was brilliant, and, and the same against Arsenal. You know, you said earlier, Joe, that it's like watching Firmino, and yeah. he's a, he, you know, on the face of it, he's probably the closest thing you could you could get to him. Which considering he, he was a he's a left winger in Holland, and you know he's obviously a big lad as well. You know, to kind of control his body and, and bring other people into play. But I think it really helps because you know when he's up against two centre arms like he was last night, and he can you know put his body between the ball and. And, you know, get runners onto him and, and bring Liverpool up the pitch when, you know, when they needed control last night at yeah. times. He was really good at bringing that. And then, obviously, his quality and his footwork, you know, for the, the fourth goal, I think it's a little nutmeg, isn't it, from, from the throw. And then Jones kind of plays it through. Oh, and, yeah, sorry, yeah. And, yeah. you know, just those kind of sprinkles of quality that you've associated with Firmino yeah. over, over the years and, yeah. you know, all the cross turns and half turns we've seen from him. And, you know, it's going to be an incredibly difficult task, you know, to replace Firmino. He's, he's been yeah. one of the linchpins yeah. of one of the great Liverpool teams so you know it's, it's, it's no easy feat but the fact that there are signs there and, and qualities there that you can buy into and think you know this is a lad who, who's come mid-season to a team that you know I know a lot of people referenced the Diaz signing last year but 
I know they'd had a few draws around last Christmas, but this year the the confidence again was shot. You know, there obviously there'd been the big break with the World Cup. You know, he hadn't he'd hardly played really. I know he played the World Cup, but there'd been a six seven week break of of domestic football. So, you know, all of a sudden he's thrown in, and obviously we know that Klopp doesn't like to throw in signings. Obviously, there's normally a bending period, so you know he's kind of had to learn on the job in a sense. But I think he's done it really well, and you know if you can complement that with you know Luis Diaz coming back and you know Salah kind of you know I know he's got the goals, but maybe getting back to his best form it, it is an exciting time and you know th- you know they played what 63 games last season they'll, they'll probably never play that number of games again but if you're a team who wants to be taken seriously in all the competitions and on all fronts you, know, you have got to have an abundance of quality in, in different areas and people have got to fight for this shirt and I think at times we, we haven't had that and, and that's obviously been you know you look at City and it feels like you know Mahrez never starts him but he ends up with 30 goals and, oh, and 20 assists yeah, this season yeah, and it's absolutely. like where do you get those minutes from and yeah. you know City just quietly go about doing that every year and it feels like I know it's obviously difficult for Liverpool to do with the finances and stuff like that but you know now they have got you know six really good attacking yeah. options it's like that is the restructure there obviously you know Salah will probably need a replacement in a, in, a, in a couple of years but for the meantime I mean Diaz is 26 Capo's 23 Jota yeah. 26 Diaz 25 yeah. it's, that's set for the next five, six, seven years if, if you play your cards right you are going to get them all through their peak but that's it and that's why I agree you don't move people on now because like you say about City, City changed their team every week. Yeah. Pep's rotation is is always a talking point, isn't it? But they they manage to keep people fresh. They they share the goals and the assists yeah. around the team in a really impressive manner. And it would be great to see Liverpool. They'll lose Firmino, but maybe he's shook a Ben Dunk yeah. into the mix, and and he becomes an option. Or Harvey Elliott plays a bit further forward at times, and you can just rotate that forward line. You know, Nunes comes on last night, scores a goal. Yeah. You could potentially start against Forest. Hopefully, build on that, and you can just keep changing it, can't you? And Gakpo, I mean, just you mentioned the fourth goal there. I thought the fifth goal. Yeah. Um. You know the the cross from Robertson. It was a lovely goal, but the cross from Robertson was great. And most players there Panic. take a touch. Either have a go. They take a touch and have a go. They certainly don't take a touch and shift it nicely yeah. into Salah who basically had the whole goal it was an awkward ball as well bouncing yeah. a bit wasn't it, it wasn't brilliant. but he made touch. it look so easy yeah. Yeah. yeah and that that to me you know like you said he, he's quite graceful isn't he he doesn't really wait, waste the ball and I think this might sound a bit I think you said something to that right? it might sound a bit a bit exaggerated but he could actually be the cleverest signing they've made in years under, under Klopp's management because replacing Firmino I thought was near impossible yeah. because I just didn't think you could find players as He's peculiar, isn't he? Firmino, yeah. he's, he's not. Um, you know, you don't see many top teams operating with a Firmino type player, um, and if they do, they don't do it for so, such a long time. You know, like City did have had inverted forwards and 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 sort of Barcelona at times, but they tend to quite quickly shift to a different style. And and um, Liverpool did it with Firmino for so long, and I just thought when he left, I thought they would have to change mm. the way that they play because I just didn't think they would find another Firmino, but. I think they found him, and, and you know I, I hope that he continues improving because um, because it was also impressive to see him in the six yard box scoring goal. Um, yeah, I'm, I I really really like. I think him. everyone thought as well, didn't they? With with Nunes last summer, I thought they you know that would be yeah. the shift there yeah. to a forty three one or something like yeah. that. We maybe yeah. go a bit more ruthless and um, maybe a bit more direct at times, but you know that's why I say it poses a big question now because you know obviously he's Liverpool's new shiny toy but but where does he actually fit in and not that his, his Liverpool future's in doubt or anything like that but just in a sense of you know he's got a very wide skill set maybe he hasn't polished it to be yeah. definite in one position but you know you could say you could play him on the left yeah. you could play him down the middle and whereas it feels as you know someone like Gakpo has got that position kind of that's, yeah. his, that's his absolute best position I've seen him play for Liverpool yeah. when he, yeah. 
go on. So no, go on, I was just gonna say like when, when he was on when he was on the left in kind of the opening few weeks, as Beth said, he just looked a bit lost, and you were a bit like he's a big lad out on the wing, you know, he's he's not got a, a burst of pace. It was like what what is he here to do? And obviously now he's he's kind of showed us what what he's here to do. I think one of my favorite things about him, and it's something that that Firmino has in spades, is in, is intelligence. Yeah. Like you say, his movement to be in the box for that um the tap in, but equally, you know, just his his overall game. You know, he's just he's a joy to watch. He really, really yeah. is, and. As you said, he's so so um sort of efficient with the ball. He doesn't waste a pass. You yeah. know, nine times out of ten, you feel like he's gonna pick the right pass, and that's actually been a bit of a rarity in, in this, yeah, this Liverpool yeah. team this season. So you just think if he has sort of a, a fully functioning midfield behind him, and you know the the rest of the forward line are full of confidence, then you just wonder what you know how far he can go. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, well, when Nunes came on, scored as well. You know, you mentioned I, I must admit the start of the game. Part of me thought he's not starting Nunes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought is there a little chance that he just doesn't fancy him? And after mm-hmm. having nine months or so of working with him, he's thought, you know what, it, it just isn't ready for me. And then after the game, I was thinking that that was just a daft thought because because you you look at the way they functioned and it it worked quite well. And then they could bring in Nunes, and you you can. There's always this thing, I always go back to show my age, but Robbie Keane, Liverpool signed Robbie Keane, they, he didn't really fit in and then they sold him. And everyone seems to hammer him constantly in the first half of the season. Why did they sell him? He doesn't fit. They didn't need him, they should sell him. And then they sold him and, and he scored seven goals in the first half of the season. And you never know, seven goals in the second half of the yeah. season might have been the difference between Liverpool. Well, they drew quite a few yeah. games didn't they? and they could have won those games and he could have played a part in a title winning team. And I, and I think good teams, they they might buy someone for ninety million or twenty five as it was Robbie Keane back then, and they they can bench him, they can bring him on, and they can and, and a team like Leeds, the last thing that they want when they're five one down or four one down is to see Darwin Nunes and Firmino coming off the bench, and for them that must be really difficult. So Liverpool's forward line is to me, you know, I know Firmino's leaving, but that is complete now. Yeah. And and you can just now for the next couple of years hopefully allow them to grow to 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 combine and, and to get better and hopefully if they can sort of bring in the right midfielders that they can get better um, talking to the right midfielders I thought we'd touch on him quick um, a lot of talk around uh, Ryan Gravenberch and um, I, I can't say I've seen a great deal of him but um, he seems to be a very much well-rounded type player um, either of you know much about him I'm going to put you on the spot uh, from a football manager days yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. he, uh, he was he was one of those yeah. well I mean he's always kind of a name that I think if you look at kind of the next generation of, of like kind of European talents yeah. I know goals next gen list he, I think 2016 I think he was kind of first yeah, yeah, yeah. 2017 2016 he was kind of earmarked on that as he's still 20 yeah so like he was, he was kind of named yeah. as one to watch yeah. and obviously again I can't, can't say I've, I've ever watched him yeah. in person really but um, you know from, from what he sounds like um, I think Mel Reddy's report for Sky yesterday they, they kind of dragged up some old quotes from Ten Hag who basically yeah. said that like does a bit of yeah thing. exactly and you know if you, you think of the one midfielder Liverpool missed over the past two years it's probably been genuine out of them and Absolutely. you know I, I don't again I don't know what his fitness and his injury record is like um, but you know if you can get someone who can kind of chip in and, and kind of be a Swiss army knife in, in that midfield you know they are going to have to spend big on, on one player whether it be you know an Alexis McAllister or a, a Mason Mount you know they are you know that's going to be a large chunk of their budget. So if they can, you know, get someone for for you know below 30, 40 million and he can do a bit of everything, you know, as as we touched on with you know with players and someone who can come in and 
it sounds like he's obviously had a bit of a difficult season in Germany, but obviously there is obviously a talent there. Yeah. We know what a good manager Ten Hag is, and yeah. obviously highly rated in, in Holland. So I think that's the kind of signings you know when Klopp talks about being smart and, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. I think those are the signings, kind of the, the low risk, high reward ones that yeah. you think that's that was kind of Liverpool's bread and butter for a, a three or four year period. And I know obviously it's difficult now because we're in a much stronger position, and the pool of players that make that team better is obviously a lot smaller than it was five years ago when you could go to Stoke and Hall and Newcastle. Yeah. Um, but you know if you can kind of, you know, throw twenty thirty million at, at Bayern Munich and get, you know, someone who's obviously not done a lot of development yeah. recently, but he's got kind of plenty to go out. I think it's because yeah, exactly. And there's nothing to lose. Yeah. You, you'd think you know, you know, if he does a few years in the Premier League and okay, it doesn't doesn't cut out. You know, you look at Minamino. I know people obviously like him for what he did last season, but didn't pull up any trees at all. And Liverpool, yeah. what, doubled their money, tripled their money. So Absolutely. just purely putting on a Liverpool shirt, you know, yeah. you'd think that's at least guaranteed getting their money back in yeah. if it didn't work yeah. out. Yeah, you think he's at an age, isn't he, where you would surely find value. Which reminds me, a, a, a young midfielder that I'd forgotten to talk about, which I think it's important we touch <laughs> on to Curtis Jones. Yeah, yeah um, I mean, it's not player Curtis Jones. We, you know, I, I won't name and shame him, but there's someone in this office who, who isn't a big fan. I was really liked him. Um, <laughs> And when he was young, you know, that goal against Everton, probably one of my favourite moments um, watching Liverpool in, in, in the last sort of five years. And I know that sounds like quite a good claim considering some, some of the things that they've done. But he came in, he was raw, he seemed like he was fearless. Mm. Um, and I, I just feel over the last sort of 18 months that, I don't, know, I don't know whether it's been coached out of him, maybe that's unfair, but it feels like he's withdrawn a little bit. But last night, we just started to see the a spark of, of what he could be again. Yeah, I was really impressed with him and, and I've not been too enamoured with him in the mm-hmm. past few years. And I think like you say, I mean, I was there at, at that, that game, that derby, and I remember sort of when the team came out being stood in the stands mm-hmm. and just this this complete like bewilderment yeah. that we were fielding a team of kids yeah. against Everton. And I think in a way that really benefited Curtis Jones, not just mm-hmm. in that game, but whenever, he, whenever else he featured that season. You know, there was always sort of, there wasn't this weight of expectation on him. It, it, he had sort of a licence to sort of be a bit impudent and take mm-hmm. a risk. And I think he relished that. He loved sort yeah. of, you know, being able to, to try and take a player on or try a risky pass. Yeah. And I think now he's obviously now more of an established member of Liverpool's senior squad. Yeah. There's almost like this fear that if he puts a foot wrong, then yeah. that's him out of the yeah. team or that's certainly him getting hammered on social media. And yeah. I almost think that's had such a negative impact on him because he's he's been too safe. And he, yeah. it, he's yeah. almost sort of all of those brilliant attributes that you saw when he broke through into the into the first team have sort of been, as you say, whether it's coached out of him or whether it's just the detrimental impact of, of playing in a, in such a good team that needs to be firing on all cylinders. You know, I think that's that's had a negative impact on him. But I thought against Chelsea, he did a decent enough job, as good enough a job as, as anyone else. He looked at least sort of willing to get stuck into it, into a tackle and, and hurry the opposition out of out of the ball and I thought last night he did he did a good job I mean he, he set up helped set up that um first goal against Arsenal didn't yeah. he it was his back heel and again that was sort of something that you could see him having done three years ago Absolutely. when he had a little yeah. bit of confidence and a little bit of that sort of cheeky sort of willingness to, to try something a bit different um and again last night I mean that was just pure quality wasn't it for, yeah. for that ball through through to Jota so it was we, gorgeous wasn't it yeah. I mean I, I was looking at that thinking Go the other way. Yeah, you know, yeah, Salah yeah. was running out the outside of him, and I was thinking, go the other way. Go the other. I think there was even. And no one would have blamed him as well because it was yeah, that hard of a pass. Yeah. You would have thought like. And, and to, to split the defence, that you know, real quality. Real yeah. Quality. But sorry, go on. 
but I, th- I think you know that that shows he's, he's got it in him I mean he's obviously been unlucky with injuries hasn't he and yeah, I think yeah. he came out and said it's actually quite a rare injury yeah. that he's had in the medical team the proper growing injuries as well yeah. aren't they you know I think Gerard had yeah. similar weird injuries where he had back pain and things like that and you know um, hopefully he's, he's, he's over some of that yeah now. And there, there has been an element, I'm not going to lie, the past couple of years where I thought if he wasn't a scouser, he wouldn't still be yeah. at Liverpool. And I think sometimes being a, being a, a local lad, in one sense, it can it can benefit you because people are rooting you up, you know, yeah. behind you and want you to do well. But similarly, it can also be a difficult mantle to carry. And I think that's where Trent deserves an enormous amount of credit for sort of the, some of the pressure he's had to shoulder. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but no, I was impressed with him, and it, it was an encouraging sign. And again, as Keith said earlier, if he can get some more legs in that midfield, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be the answer to Liverpool's mid midfield no, solution. But I think having having him as an option, you know, I think Liverpool have been in a position this season where a lot of the squad players haven't contributed at all. You know, the Naby Keiters and the Alex yeah, Oxley yeah. Chamberlains, they've hardly played, and when they have, they've been a bit anonymous, really. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you can have squad players who come on and do a job as Curtis Jones has proved yeah. that he can do then then that's exactly what Liverpool need yeah I was really pleased because personally I think I think it's really important for Liverpool to have young scousers coming mm-hmm. through and, and you know I'm, I'm sure there'll be people that disagree with that but I think there is there is something about the way they carry the sort of the heart and soul of the club in, in, especially you know, when you look at the new training centre that they yeah. opened it's like you know if you've not got any representatives in yeah. or any to kind yeah. of Figures in the first team. It's like what? Yeah. What's the point in? I know obviously they can they can make money elsewhere and they have been good at doing that. But you know, as you say, you know everyone wants to be the next Steven Gerrard, and I think it's really important. And obviously Liverpool were quite lucky with that in the late nineties, early two thousand, and kind of that kind of class of, you know, Owen Fowler and all those who came through. But you know, if you don't have figures who you know kind of come through and are achievable, it's like it would be easy for clubs to your know, players even to choose other yeah. other opportunities or other directions and. You know, as Beth said, it, it could probably be your biggest boost, I think, initially when you are coming through into the first team. But I think when you are, you know, obviously Liverpool is a, a, a worldwide club and, you know, you think maybe not finances, but they could attract any player, certainly yeah. in, in recent times. And, you know, for Curtis Jones to knock up nearly 100 appearances during the last yeah. four or five years when it's probably been the best Liverpool team, mm-hmm. certainly of my lifetime, of probably yours as well, yeah, Joe. It's, you know, that's that's not to be, you know, disregarded or anything like that. And, I think, as Beth says, you know the the big thing this year. You know, if you look at why they're able to uh, go so close to the quadruple last season, was you had the likes of Minamino and and, and Origi and all those chipping in. So it was like, you know, if you were playing a cup game against Norwich in midweek, you could throw players in. And, yeah. and and this season, they just that hasn't been the case. And and obviously Jones has obviously had the injuries and stuff. But I think as well, you know, even when you look at his numbers in the academy, he was getting like fifteen goals, eighteen assists, yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. And he kind of just had that kind of scout swagger and yeah. that. Not not a cockiness, but like an arrogance of I'm better than everyone on this pitch, and yeah. and you know he could cut in and take a shot and he looks shy I, now. At times. Yeah, and I, th- yeah. I think obviously that, that kind of comes with the role, and you yeah. know if you, if you look at it, he, he takes that left left side of midfield role, which was obviously of Wijnaldum, yeah. and it's very much a get the ball recycling and let the lads at the front end of the pitch do the damage. But yeah. you know you, you can tell you know when he's on song, he's desperate to get involved in that and kind of he loves. All, I mean that goal he scored for England a few weeks yeah. ago, the twenty ones, but. I'd like to see him have a few more shots. I think that's yeah, the next I, yeah, and I, I think that's a confidence thing as well. Yeah. Like even even last night, I think you know in the first half there was, there was a sense of you know no one really wants to kind of you know it did feel a bit toxic in the first twenty twenty five minutes. We think if they get the first goal, yeah. you know you won't back Liverpool to come back from this, and and no one really wants to be that guy who you know Lovren's it at Wembley kind of thing. So it's like <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I know what you mean, but it's certainly again another one who's got a good base yeah. to build on between you know now and the end of the season. I think I mean that's three or four or three starts from from the last four games, and 
and you think as well, you know, there's not much to play for in the next nine games, or we'll give him a run of games and kind of at least you know where the line lies with him yeah. in the summer because you know homegrown is going to be an issue for Liverpool next season with the amount of people leaving. So, yeah. you know, if you are going to replace a you know twenty one year old midfielder who's homegrown, it's going to cost you fifty million, isn't it? Yeah. This has always been all positive. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Isn't it amazing yeah. how one win changes everything? Yeah, one <laughs> six one win. You know, it's um, quite crazy. But I want to touch on two more things before we uh, we wrap up. And, and the first of all, I just thought this where we were we're talking. So I'm just going to throw it at you: Europa League or nothing. Europa League. Europa League. I, I think. Are you shaking your head? <laughs> I'm nothing. <laughs> nothing. Oh. I I think there's a bit of snobbery that comes from yes, how Beth. how superb Liverpool have been. Um, you know, over the past few years, and it does sort of seem almost inconceivable that they're not going to be in the Champions League. Um, but I just think, you know, you forget how brilliant that run was with the, you know, the Dortmund game and you know, European <laughs> European <laughs> competition yeah. creates moments of magic, doesn't yeah. it? No. Regardless of what level it's at, and I think as well, you know, there's a lot of talk of how not being in the Champions League will affect Liverpool's transfer and their spend the transfers and the spending and. But you've got to you've got to remember Arsenal have had a number of years, I think seven seasons out yeah. of the Champions League. They've attracted top players. Manchester United have had a couple of years out, Spurs as well. So it's not sort of like you're condemned to the Europa League forever. I think it's a chance to blood young players. And equally as well, the league seems to be getting so much more competitive. You've got obviously Newcastle now are going to be challenging for top four, Brighton. It's a route to getting Champions yeah. League the, the subsequent season. So yeah, I'd definitely say rather Europa League than nothing yes, perfect. It's, a th- it's the third best thing you can win <laughs> after the Champions League and the League Cup but um, yeah Kiefer you want you, to uh, I've, I've got no way coming back from no, that no, um, no you still are as, as a fan no I, I wouldn't mind a year off I think obviously the last couple of years of, of travel have been quite a lot and obviously financial oh, well, no well, you poor thing no, but <laughs> that, that, I think I think just I, the three I, Champions yeah, League finals yeah, yeah. no but I, I think as well like, the, the Europa League and everyone's you know obviously even the, even the UEFA Cup run in 2001, that was like a Champions League run, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so was the one in 2016 in, in terms of the teams that were in there, United, obviously Dortmund as well, Villarreal, and, and, was, and even Seville, obviously the masses of that competition. Yeah. It is, it is, that was a, a largely, you know, from Augsburg onwards, but I just think with the Europa League, the Thursday, Sunday is just such a horrendous routine. It's, and I, I, I remember reading something years ago, I can't, remember, I can't remember where I read it, but it was like on average of like the past five seasons, you, you go 10 points off worse in the league just for playing Thursday, Sundays. And obviously I know squads have grown since then, but I just think it's, I just remember some of those, you know, some of the games to the back end of that season where it was all on the Europa League and it was just a bit like, it's a dangerous game to play because ultimately if you don't win it, you know, what are you left with? And obviously that was the case in 2016. And I know, I know they came back the, the year after and obviously had no European football, but I don't know, I just... I just, I just don't think it'd be the worst thing in, in the year. It, sorry, I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to have a year out of it, and, and maybe just you know look at Chelsea under Conte first year. They finished, they finished tenth, didn't they? When Mourinho got sacked, and mm-hmm. Conte brought in that that three four three, and, and they stormed the league by by an absolute landslide. And you know the, the track record is there that teams tend to do better. I mean, obviously, I know Arsenal as best said a number of years out of the Champions League, but that's kind of always been Arsenal's viewed as Arsenal's best route back into the mm-hmm. Champions League, apart from this year. Um, because obviously they found it so hard to to compete on multiple fronts, yeah. and they played in the Europa League this year. Yeah, yeah, but obviously now you'd, you'd argue that's that's obviously a bit of a distraction. Obviously, I know they went out in the, in the last round, but you know people are looking on the league. Really, I just think it's a very hard thing to balance, and maybe obviously with Liverpool having you know a number of new players, it, it could do them well to have more games and and stuff like that. I completely get that side of it. 
I just, I just don't think you know. Put it this way: I think, I think, I think this season's just been a freak year. I'm not looking at the. Yeah, does that do? I, I don't. I'm not looking at the, the. You know, obviously, yes, Newcastle will be a dangerous proposition, but you know, I back Liverpool to get top four next year. So it's not like I'm thinking, well, this is. You know, it's not like United in 2014, 15, where you think actually, how are they going to break into that top four? I think they have got the quality there. They have got the players there. Um, I just think for a, for a number of reasons that we've obviously referenced earlier is you know, mentality, fatigue and all that has kind of just spiralled into one horrible conco- concoction and you know I think if they had a year off maybe you know that that, that top four pursuit would change into a league pursuit or, or whatever Yeah, I, I, I get the arguments against it but I, I just am swayed by that's, also the, the, the financial as well like, my you know, compelling argument <laughs> no, uh, you made all the good points and especially you know, we, you know, we talk about revenue and stuff like that obviously the new stand's going to be open mm-hmm. you know, obviously they play more games in, in Europe than yeah. they think it's an extra round so you know, obviously there is the principle to kind of I know you know, the money isn't you know, incomparable to the yeah. Champions League but there is a chance to kind of claw some of that revenue you know, back if you're yeah. not going to go from like 80 million quid to, to zero so yeah. you know, obviously all the signs are there and obviously I'm sure you know I'm sure Klopp won't be, be sitting there thinking, I hope we finish 8th or 9th or 10th, whatever it is. He'll wanna, he's a man of pride, isn't he? He'll want to yeah. finish as, as best as they can. That's it, yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to touch the Conference League. No. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that one. But, but I, I just think the UEFA Cup, still can't the UEFA Cup. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's a beautiful trophy, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah, gorgeous. It's, it's I love that in my, on my mantelpiece. Some flowers <laughs> in it. But, but I mean... I, Apart from that, I just think you do you do have to endure it a little bit. You have to get out the group stage, and and even in the last sixteen or last thirty two, you don't always get great draws. But I think as soon as you get to the last sort of eight, which Liverpool should should yeah minimum yeah minimum you know you you're thinking last eight, you know United play Barcelona, yeah. you know, they're playing Nasser, they're 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 great they're great teams in there, and you know Anfield's just not the same without European nights. No, so. I and I, I think you go back. And I think it's really important for mentality. You go back and the seeds that, that were sown in that early year with Klopp, of Dortmund, of, of, of Man United, you know, the, the Coutinho yeah. goal at Old Trafford, you know, those sorts of occasions. Part of a bigger picture, wasn't it? Kind yeah, of, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, it was, it was Liverpool showing that they had that desire to come back against Dortmund, you know, that, that, that manifested itself later down the line for the Barcelonas and the, the league wins. So I, I think it can be important. And the next stage of Klopp's team, you know, I, I would like it, obviously... After you know, some miracle, they managed to finish in the Champions League. Great, but only nine points is. is have you yeah, given up completely. I've given up on that really. I just think. I think there's too many teams. Too, too yeah. many teams, and and too. Newcastle have a tricky run. They, yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. They do. But, but then they, they've been good this year at steadying themselves. Yeah. Newcastle, to be fair. Yeah, no, to, I do. I think it is know. gone. To be fair. And to be fair, I wouldn't back us to win all nine. And I know we're really positive today. We're just to yeah. kind of throw an ounce of misery in there. I, I just don't. I just can't see us winning the next no, four, eight. I, or, I, I agreed. You know, we we know what this team's like, and whilst this has been a positivity pod, um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's an unrealistic pod. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hello everyone, Blood Red's Pat Smith here with a segment on the new This Is Anfield book that has been released, an illustrated history of Liverpool's match day programmes. I'm delighted to be joined by the writers and creators Andy Marsden and David Cottrell. Hi fellas, how are you both doing? Doing well, thanks Good stuff, good stuff. So let's jump straight into it then, shall we? If you want to give the listeners and viewers, Dave, maybe a quick glimpse and an overview of what they can expect when they buy the book. Wow, yeah, it's uh, it's the latest book that um, that Reach Sport have published um, officially for Liverpool. 
uh, and it's all it's the illustrated history of the uh, Liverpool Match Day program. So right from the very beginnings, uh, from 1892, when there was a, a program back then, we've gone through every decade up to the present day, and it'll uh, we call it the ultimate time capsule for anyone with a love of LFC, and I think it'll uh, it'll bring back an awful lot of memories, and for the bulk, the vast bulk of the information and the images, we've got um, my uh, co-writer Andy, who's with us to uh, to thank. Andy is uh, not only a Liverpool fan, but an avid collector and the font of all knowledge, I think, when it comes to uh, Liverpool FC programmes anyway. So, yeah, it's been a thing that's an ongoing thing. Took, um, what would you say, Andy, three or four months to put together. Very much a labour of love, based on something that Andy had done in his own time as well previously, which he'll, he'll tell you about. And we're delighted with the with the outcome. And obviously, we hope um, Liverpool fans and programme collectors generally will be delighted with it too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's a must-have, isn't it, for Liverpool fans? I think a time capsule is the perfect thing you call it. I mean, Andy, you are the fountain of knowledge when it comes to Liverpool programmes. How did you come up with this idea? You know, when did it strike you one day that, you know what, there should be a book about this? It actually it actually took place about five, six years ago when um, I, I met with Liverpool themselves, the club, and um, Rich were there as well, and we chatted over a few ideas. One was my own book, which I promised once I'd finished that one, I'd help Rich with this one. So um, it took a long time for me to finish mine. So that's why there's been a big delay. Um, but uh, yeah, we started back in November last year and um, incredibly we've got it out already, which I didn't believe we could achieve, but we did. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing stuff. Is it really turned quick turn on that one? So very impressive as well, that it's still such a good read and that's such short of a time span, really. I mean, you know, it's, it's so clear to see throughout, the thing that struck me, Dev, is the change we've seen in the match day programmes over the years. I mean, it's quite... Mm-hmm incredible of the contrast they've come to where they are now because it can be such a good obviously Liverpool's are some of the best in the country match day programs are so important aren't they for young journalists much similar age to myself of getting that really important journalism out there because they can be amazing pieces of journalism now can't they in those match day programs I, I think so yeah I mean definitely I mean I've, I've been around quite a long time I've had two, two stints of doing the program um the one I'm doing now, which I've been doing since uh, 2012, and then previously in 2000 to 2002, uh, and if you, especially if you're a Liverpool fan, which obviously I think helps, you know, you, you never lose your passion or enthusiasm, or or you just or you just want to come up with more ideas. You want to be original. You want to be fresh, season on season. And we develop the program and the way it looks, season on season, with new ideas and new concepts for for the cover. Um, and even now, at my age, I'm knocking on a bit, but I. I still write the occasional piece and really enjoy, you know, the occasional piece. And we've, we've got a team there as well, like you say, of younger journalists and contributors who also write pieces. So, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, um, it's a good school to, to learn your trade, I think, um, writing for programmes and then going on to, I mean, we had people who've written for the programme and gone on to be broadsheet writers, for example. So um, I think so. Yeah, I think our writers love doing it. And like I say, our contributors love working on it as well. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, as well, just stay with you, Dave. I mean, how much do you think they've changed then over the years? Obviously, because the book documents, you know, the sheer rapid change they've had from even back to, you know, the start of Liverpool's football, you know, way beyond then, with some adverts even featuring them, wasn't there, back in the day? <laughs> yeah. Andy, do you want me to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. yeah, I mean, like I say, Andy Andy's probably knows a lot more about it than I do, but certainly, yeah, it's 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 changed incredibly. I mean, what I found amazing was the fact that there has been a programme since the very first season of, of Liverpool's existence as, as a football club and, and, and as a team. And obviously with Andy having his vast archive, you can you can look through the decades. We split the book up into uh, decades. Each chapter is a decade. And look how it's evolved and, and changed. And you've had things like, you know, 
the war years where it's had to uh, adapt and change because of paper shortages, for, for example. And that's happened twice, obviously, in the last last century. And then through to the 50s and the 60s and then the 70s, where you start to see, I think Andy will back me up on this, more, the more regular um, content, like the manager's notes, um, which wasn't really a thing, I think, before before the uh, the 70s. Not a regular thing, anyway. And then you have the captain's column being introduced and then you've got your interviews with the players, exclusive interviews with the players. And they've always been little staples, I guess, right from the beginning, where you have things like, you know, the the fixture list for the entire weekend, who's playing whom, and then you've got your teams, your two team lineups, that kind of thing. Some boardroom news, as it was called back back in the day. So these things have all evolved, but I think as far as we're concerned now, we, we just try to produce something that um, that chimes with, with the club's kind of values and, and traditions, but reaches out and, and appeals to Liverpool's global fan base, because it is a worldwide fan base. So you just want to engage with all those fans and, and entertain them and, and and inform them as well at the, at the same time. And that's the job we think, you know, we're trying to do. Mm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Andy, yourself, I mean, you know, you've been quite the collector. When did you actually start collecting the programmes and you know, what's the change that you've seen in them from the time you started collecting to now? So my first one, um, give you a bit of background. I was actually born on the FA Cup final day. So I have a bit of an affinity for the FA Cup. And funnily enough, a few years later, my dad ended up working at near Wembley every every day near the cup final day. So he'd always pick up a programme. So my first ever programme, unfortunately, was the 1971 FA Cup final. We don't need to talk about that, though, do we? Oh. <laughs> um, and then my first match at Anfield was in 1973 when uh, we played Leeds. And effectively, at the end of that match, as Shanks put it, we'd basically won the title. It was mathematically then, and because Arsenal had drawn at Southampton. So... First match, effectively the first title I ever saw, so it was quite good. And in those days, they had basically an insert called the Football League Review, as well as the programme. So not only did you get Liverpool news, but you got news of all the divisions in the Football League as well. So sometimes there'd be a picture of Liverpool, which often got pulled out by a lot of collectors or fans. Um, and then there'd be little stories about a player, a team, etc. So it was really good to see that. But then what you see is, as Dave has alluded to, a lot of the uh, changes happened by about 78, 79, 80. We were starting to see changes which effectively brought in colour in the early 80s. And as we've just gone on, you know, there's been so many changes right up to the present day. I mean, you know, we, we can talk about the covers that, that Reach do now for the Champions League matches. They're unbelievable, some of the things these guys have come up with. You know, I just can't wait to see the next one when the... When, when they surprise us yet again with another one. I mean, obviously the Barca one for me was a fabulous one, not in the context of the game, but in the programme as well. So you do see these massive changes and, and all the adverts, as well as Dave said earlier, you see early adverts of tailors or always featured on the front cover of the programmes in the, in the early years. And then all of a sudden we start to see little adverts like collect razor blade packets, send them in and you'll get an <laughs> autograph from one of the Liverpool players in return. And then you've got the Hickson, Hickson uh, Ales as well with your, your, your Rock Ferry, your Anfield and your, um, I forgot the other one, Dave. Is that Anfield with Rock Ferry, what, Mosley Hill? Albert Dock, of course, yeah. District in Liverpool, there was a caricature draw, drawn at the time. So, yeah, uh, fans of an older vintage like me and Andy will, uh, will, will remember those. But yeah, we used to have ads for like uh, 
tobacco, didn't you? Back you know, yes. in I'm, I'm just having a flick to myself. There's a couple of years off for some cruise trips back in the 1940s, which is interesting ones as well. Holidays you can go on to oh, Morocco gosh. and North Africa and places. And then we went to Canada Melbourne. as well. Yeah. Was one. <laughs> yeah. And Liverpool being a big port at the time, that was happening a lot, I guess, yeah. back then. So, yeah. and, yeah. and hopefully it, it's now a bit more. Yeah, the changes they've gone through are crazy, aren't they? Um, Andy, I'll stay with you then because. You know, match day programmes, that's something that's always been a huge part of me growing up as a Liverpool fan. I'd always get a programme when I was young, and particularly, you know, even now it's still amazing to see them around. But they are under threat, aren't they? I mean, it's sort of no secret that they are trying to sort of be moved online. At some clubs, they're less popular. I think Liverpool, they're obviously very popular. I mean, what would you say to people who, you know, are sort of against match day programmes and would like to see them moved online? What's the counter argument to that, would you say? I mean, for me, it's a match day tradition. But your, your counter argument to that is, well, okay, you're a bit older than the majority of fans, the younger fans, you know, they're used to the smartphone and the internet. But if we go back, Peter Robinson, when he was club secretary, one of the things he, he banged on about was, it's the only way of communicating with the fans. There wasn't those, those devices and everything in those days. So for me, I learned an awful lot. And if you look back over history, you learn so much about Liverpool Football Club that you cannot find anywhere else because it just wasn't produced you know, there's no magazines or anything like that. So for me, there's an awful lot of history there. And then secondly, my argument back is, well, the likes of Derby County, they quit programmes a few years ago. Guess what they're doing now? They've gone back to the programme. Yeah. So for me, I think, and this is not aimed at Dave now, this is aimed at the majority of football clubs. You need to be a bit more inventive now in what you're going to portray through the programme. You know, for me, what I don't want to see is a bland bit of content, which is basically a picture of a, a Liverpool player, for example, with a few stats underneath his age, how, how you know how many times when he put signed for Liverpool. Well, where's the content in that? You need mm. to make the content interesting, both historical and modern. And obviously, there is the sponsors' uh, argument as well that they've got to include all of those as well. I get that totally, but it needs to be more interesting. You know, some of the things. For me personally, if we could get better covers, so it's not just a photograph of a player, you know, take take Newcastle this year. They've used the Corinthian figures as if you're buying a Corinthian figure off the, the shelf and it's actually portrayed on the front cover. Um, and then some of the historical stuff that's gone in there. We played Rangers um, in Glasgow, obviously a fantastic result. The programme very expensive at £5 for what it was. But if you then look inside, the historical stuff in there is phenomenal. They go back to the early eight, uh, late 1800s, 1900s, and they talk about when Liverpool first played Rangers. And they've got some photographs of McKenna and stuff like that in there. Unbelievable. That, that information does exist. It's just having the energy to go and get it. So I think it's a balancing act to try and get interest. You know, I get moaned at constantly by people. Why can't we do this? Why can't they do that? And that's not aimed at just Dave. That's aimed at all clubs. Because some of the stuff we've seen this year has been disappointing. And you do feel, is this the beginning of the end? But we need to drive that forward. I'd hate to see the end of the matchday programme. And I think the, the Derby evidence is a, is a classic. You know, they got rid of it, produced a magazine. Fans didn't want it. They wanted the programme. So there is an argument that, go on, then try it. But you need to invest and understand what the, the reader wants. Can I, yeah. can I come in there? Of yeah, course you can. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree 100% with what Andy's saying. You, you, you have to be um, smarter and cuter these days because it's a print publication. 
and you're up against an age, you know, a digital age now where everything is immediate, everything's happening straight away. So you have to come up with with better ideas and you have to do your research and you've got to be passionate about how much you put into it, which we always endeavour to do on, on, on the programme, certainly. But I do think as well, there's still that feeling. I'm not sure whether it's just amongst um, fans of the big clubs. Uh, I'm not sure about the, maybe some of the smaller clubs that when you go to a match, when you go to Anfield, which is one of the you know most famous football grounds in the world, you want something tangible. You want to come away with a souvenir of it. You want to come away with something that you can flick through. It's not quite the same when it when it's all on on social media. And also, we have the the, the program is still seen as as a vehicle. Uh, from the club's point of view, to get important messages across and a primary vehicle, along with the, the, the club's official website, of course. Take an example, uh, it was a year or two ago, <coughs> excuse me, when there's the campaign for a Hillsborough law, and uh, the club um, came to us and said, you know, Jordan Henderson's um, captain's column, well, he's he's been speaking to us and to Sir Kenny Dalgleish, and he wants Kenny to take over his column for that particular issue that coincided at the time, uh, issue of the Match Day programme. And Kenny kind of wrote, um, so Kenny wrote a guest um, column in uh, Jordan's place, and it was it was gratifying. It was nice to think that the program's still seen as as that kind of conduit to get a very very important message across, along with all the other uh, media channels at the club, of, of course. Uh, and, and and you find also with um, we've got kind of a regular column called the Anfield Review, where we'll speak to it could be a local musician or an actor from Liverpool, actress uh, or a celebrity who's a fan or an ex-player. And when you, you approach them uh, to say, we'd like to interview you or, or you to do a guest column in, in the next programme, they're delighted, you know, 99 times out of 100 because they think, oh, I'm going to be in the programme. It's that, it's that comment, going to be in the programme. Oh, I'm going to have to buy like hundreds of copies for my friends and family. So it still, it does excite people to be in the programme. Then you've got the collectors like Andy, and there's a lot of them about as well, who you know, avid collectors and want to keep collecting a, a physical programme. And finally, I'd say uh, our fans section, which is called Born and Red, where people just send in a photo and uh, a little message. It could be um, like a kid's birthday, the first time at Anfield on an ad or an anniversary or, or an obituary, somebody that's passed away. It's so popular. You, you wouldn't believe it. Honestly, the amount, the, the sheer volume of requests we get in um, and the club can't accommodate them. It's never done like announcements really. Well, not for a few years now on the PA system at Anfield because there's so many. So they're redirected to the programme and people, you know, they love to, again, they love to have the fan requests in the programme. So I think, you know, from, I can only speak from Liverpool's point of view, but, you know, it's certainly extremely relevant still, the matchday programme at Liverpool. And, and you know, um, Touchwood, the club, are, are very happy with what we do as their publishing partners and long may it continue. Yeah, I mean, absolutely beautifully put from you two. I couldn't agree more with it. I mean, I think it's such an essential part of a matchday as a Liverpool fan. And it's sad to see some of the clubs struggling with their programmes. But as Andy said, you know, look at Derby County, they got rid of it and they came back two years later. I mean, it just shows how important, how important their place is in football but um we'll wrap it up there then thank you so much for joining me both andy marsden and david cotchell everyone you can go and grab your copies from any good bookstore lfc retail amazon anywhere online it's definitely available i think it's still at the time recording the number one Liverpool book on amazon so you definitely can't miss it but thanks again to andy and dave for your time and a thanks of course to all of you for watching and listening along on the blood red podcast we'll catch you again soon the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo No, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll finish on um, Beth. The floor is yours because I want to talk women's football. Obviously, you've been on an international break and probably been tearing your hair out. But um, <laughs> give listeners a, a flavour of what's to come now um, uh, to the rest of the season. 
Yeah, it feels like a an age really since yeah. since the women's super league was was last in action. Um, but quite a positive note for for Liverpool to to end on prior to the international break. They had a massive win against Tottenham. Um, came from behind to win that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Tottenham have been struggling this season, so it sort of felt like one of those games that if they if they didn't win, they'd mm-hmm. be really sort of dragged into that yeah. that scrap at the bottom of of the league. And they they did. They showed great character. Came back. Um, then went on from that to the Merseyside derby at Goodison, which they drew. They they should have won, and yeah. they were absolutely robbed out of out of a goal. Really, I think even any anyone of an Everton persuasion would admit it was, yeah. you know, shoddy officiating. Really, um, but you know, still a good point against a, a really good side. And then they drew away to West Ham as well, um, in the final game before the international break. So they're they're pretty much safe now, you know, barring a sort of freakish run of results. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, things are looking up for them, and it, you know Matt Beard, I think, said at the start of the season. He said a number of times this season the the biggest priority this term was securing survival. Yeah. Um, Has there been positive signs for next? Definitely, next season. they they brought in um, a player called Fukunagano in the mm. in the January transfer window, who has just almost transformed this yeah. this team. She's been absolutely. Um, brilliant in the middle of the park and you know if they can keep hold of her in the summer which you know I'm sure they sure they will and they will try the hardest to do um you know they've got a real sort of solid midfield now a real nucleus of a really good side so I think if they they make a couple more additions in the summer they can really now start to push on up the table and, and look up rather than yeah. down so yeah a busy few weeks but it'd be nice to to get back down to, to Prenton Park at the weekend I might be off here but does it feel like a, a quiet ambition about Liverpool women again you know obviously there was there was a lot of probably fair criticism um, mm-hmm. of the way it was run at times but it feels a bit more like they're on the up am I wrong am yeah I no it, it does definitely I think you know the, the club have neglected the women's side for, mm-hmm. for a number of years and mm-hmm. I think the club would probably hold hands up in it and admit that mm-hmm. um, and I think sort of the, the most sort of damning indictment of that was the women getting relegated in the same mm-hmm. season the men won the league yeah. that should never yeah. be happening um, I think Liverpool are still a way off challenging near the top of the table. You look at your Chelsea's and your Arsenal's. Um, they've got world class international players. Mm-hmm. Um, Liverpool do have a number of internationals and a number of top players, but um, just not quite to the same caliber yeah. of, of of those top top sides. So I think it will take a good few transfer windows before they can be competing for Europe and stuff. But I think that there is a positivity, and I think you know now it because the pressure's off them a little bit. Hopefully the shackles might be off, and they might have a bit more of a license to just go and play and hopefully get some good results toward the end of the season. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Beth, and thank you, Kiefer. Um, it's been quite an enjoyable podcast. <laughs> we'll be back on Friday to to preview Nottingham Forest and hopefully a couple of back-to-back wins, which is quite rare this season. We'll see you then. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.